Welcome to 242, podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, where we explore topics that are relevant to our lives as students of the ways of King Jesus. This is episode 11. I'm talking with Pastor Gail, and we are discussing singleness, marriage, and gender in the church. So we talk a little bit about the church's teaching on singleness and marriage, and Pastor Gail gives some advice to the church on these topics. We also ask the question, should we be encouraging people to get married? We discuss the ideas of quote-unquote biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. We ask the question, can men and women be friends? And we also hear some of Pastor Gail's advice to singles. I hope you enjoy. Well, Gail... Thanks Sweet. for joining me. Thanks. <laughs> so why don't you start by introducing yourself briefly, if for, you know, some strange reason, somebody who doesn't know you hears this. Sure thing. My name is Gail. I'm a pastor at Buffalo Vineyard Church, and uh, I've been in various ministries over the last 35 years or so, kind of always focused on meeting people's physical, spiritual, emotional needs um, in a variety of contexts. I've lived in a lot of different places, had a lot of different experiences, had uh some really great experiences, some really hard experiences, but God uh, has been faithful through it all. So, all right. So, pick an experience. I, I know that we didn't, we weren't going to do this, but mm-hmm. but what's what's something like a formative ministry experience for you that you would want to share? Oh boy, a lot to choose from. I, I would probably say the first that comes to mind is uh, when I was in grad school and seminary. Realizing this that, was right after undergrad or uh, actually I was 30 when okay. I started uh, my master's degree, I was 30. And uh, I do remember um, realizing that I learned so much more from my classmates mm. that in the context of the course or the different courses I was taking than I was from the actual books or professor. I mean, there's so much about the relational um, aspect to higher education and learning. So that was very formative relatively early on. How has that impacted your, like the course of your life in ministry? I think paying attention to people's experiences. I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday about, I don't equate um, education with intelligence. So I don't think you have to be Hmm. highly educated to be a really intelligent person. I think that um, in the context of relationships, the ways in which God grows us and challenges us, that's an education in itself. So um, yeah, I think it made me realize how important relationships were to um, growing and learning and how we are, are lifelong learners. I mean, one of my f- favorite quotes, I, I quote it quite often, Archibald Wheeler, I should know the reference, but he talks about, we live on an island of knowledge surrounded by a sea of ignorance. As the island of our knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of our ignorance. Mm. So sometimes it feels like the older I get, the more I know, the less I know. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's cool. I like that. I I feel like I've heard that before, maybe from you, probably from me. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Well, so we, we were, um, on paper, we were going to talk about fishing, right? No, we're not going to talk about fishing. Um, although you do like to fish. Although I do love to fish. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were going to talk about, uh, singleness Mm -hmm. and, uh, femininity Mm -hmm. or, and, and more specifically what it's like to be single within the context of the church, what it's like to be a woman within the context of the church. Right. And then, and and also as a, as a pastor, as a leader. Um, 
So I don't know. I sent you a list of questions and you took copious notes and in, in, in response. Don't make fun of me. I'm not. That's <laughs> well, I am kind of making fun yeah, of you, but right. not because I think it's a bad thing. Um, it's what do you, what do you call that? Like those we mock, we love or yeah, something like right. that. Um, it's my overdeveloped sense of responsibility. <laughs> yes. Which I am perpetually grateful for. <laughs> so yeah. What, is there some place you wanted to start? Well, one of the first questions you asked me is, uh, what does the church teach about marriage, family, and singleness? Uh, we don't have time to well, encompass right. all of that. But, um, and I think it's context dependent, right? I think my experience is in the um, Western white evangelical church, suburban evangelical church. And, uh, but it, it, over the years in my experience, I think what I've learned is that um, we have made an idol out of marriage and the nuclear family. Mm. I think, I think things are out of whack when it comes to some of these topics in in the evangelical church today. Um, so it's always been uh, a challenge being an unmarried woman in that context. Sometimes you feel like people don't know what category to put you in. Like where do you fit? Um, mm. So, so I think one of the things that I've kind of put a lot of t- energy and attention into is trying to challenge us to think about what does it mean to be family? And I, oftentimes my language reflects that even on a Sunday yeah. morning, Hey church family, how you doing? Cause I really see in a lot of my experiences over the years in different church contexts, they are my family. Right. Uh, a cause I'm not married B cause my parents died relatively young and C the rest of my family is pretty fragmented. So church is my family. So mm. for me, it's been out of necessity to find that place where I belong and, yeah. and, and fight for that, kind of sense of belonging. So, but I, yeah, I really want to challenge those, those, uh, those concepts that, that, uh, the stigma that surrounds singleness. So talk about how have you experienced or, you know, how, like, so some of this is we've had different experiences in that we've been in part of different churches and, you know, but some of it is also we've had different experiences because I'm not single. Right. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that I've seen a lot of stigma around singleness. Um, and again, I know some of that is because I wasn't looking for it. And some of it is because maybe we were a part of different churches, but I'd like to hear you like define that. Like what are some of the things that you saw or experienced or, you know, like things you heard people say, or like when you say, yeah, this is, this is what it means for single people to be stigmatized, put some, some flesh on the bones. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, sometimes it's as simple as the language we use. So you're going to tell, you're going to tell me the places where I've stigmatized. No, I'm no, just messing. No, not at all. As a matter of fact. Well, Steve, let me tell you what you said. That's right. One, two, three, four. No, um, being in Vineyard has been a really refreshing experience mm. as a, as a as a woman in general, but as uh, a single woman as well. But no, it's kind of from kind of historical experiences that I've had. A family fun night, mm, yeah. Family picnic, family game night. I mean, all you, you, in one sense, it's as simple as putting one more word in front of that church picnic, church family picnic, church family fun night. Yeah. So, and again, reinforcing that idea of church as family. I, I was once a part of a church where they uh, had a, um, a ministry of getting to know each other. It was called Six for Supper. Okay. Which, was, which was great. You know, getting six people, usually three couples together. Gotcha. You know, so if I could go back and do it, I would encourage them to name it, you know, five, seven, nine for dinner, you know, because oftentimes and for decades, I have been the third chair, the fifth person, 
the ninth person at a table. Yeah. And at first it it was really uncomfortable for me, but over time I've just I embrace it. It's it doesn't bother me as as much anymore. Um so so the language we use in our churches um it's that's But so I would say like you just said it doesn't bother you as much anymore and like that's probably true at a personal level, but also you have definitely been somebody who has challenged me um around around this issue not not so much at, like steve you're not including me gail but hey what about some of the single folks in our right. church and like you've preached sermons yeah, yeah right and so i actually really appreciate that that you've continued to even though maybe it's not like a personally painful issue for you right you've continued to be mindful of the fact that there are lots of single folks in our church and in the church and that they're not in any way, shape, or form, second-class citizens, either because they're young and single or because they're older and single. Right, right. Yeah, the other question you had asked me was about uh, what advice um, would I give to church leaders about being single? So kind of carrying on yeah. with that, that theme. It was really good for me to think about this. Um, and and I, I mean this with lots of love and whatnot, but most pastors <laughs> in general, <laughs> she says passive-aggressively. No, I love honestly, you. Yeah, no, honestly. Um, but most pastors in general are men, and they're usually married men, and they are usually married men who married young yeah. and have no frame of reference and no context. And so, you know, they're, and, and I'm, I'm not picking on you, brother, honest to goodness. But, it's okay um, if you do, though. Yeah, but a lot of sermon illustrations, man, they're sports analogies. They are. Um, okay, you're picking on no, me. No, no, no. <laughs> and they are, um, you know, their experiences with his wife or anecdotes about his children. And yeah. and it's a, just a frame of reference, all things that I can't really identify with. Um, there are plenty of opportunities. Again, it just takes some thought yep. to, to think about um, how things can be said differently or portrayed differently. There are certainly lots of examples of faithful single people that could be, and and examples of the lives of faithful single people that could be used as sermon illustrations and whatnot. Um, but that's just the surface stuff, you know, because it really is the attitudes. Um, yeah. Um, well, but just to, to, to point at it, though, I mean, that surface stuff, it is surface, but it does matter when people, when people pick up, whether you're talking about as a single person or around, you know, ethnicity or class or wh yeah, whatever it is, yeah. when people, when people pick up subtle clues that say you don't fit in here, that, that's not okay. Right, right. And again, it, it, a lot of what I was wrote about as we were thinking through our questions is just a lot of it is intentionality mm -hmm. uh, about the way we do things. Um, but I think the real challenge is for church leaders to jettison their preconceived notions about unmarried people at okay. times. I, it, it wasn't all that long ago, not in a church context, but in a Christian ministry context where uh, a, a wife said to me, basically, um, you know, unmarried people, because you don't go through the refining fires of a marriage relationship, you're, you don't develop as deeply as a disciple. And it pained me to the core. She's she's a great friend, but it, it, it was a real painful thing. Um, we need to shift our thinking that marriage is not the goal of life. Uh, Jesus is. Yeah. You know, it's a deeper and more intimate relationship that, than even the best marriage. So I think that's be. worth interrogating a little yeah. bit. That, so I've heard that kind of idea said in other, other contexts that, and, and as a married man, I will say that marriage can be a fire. Like there is a purification 
uh, absolutely a, a conflagration and a it, purification it that takes like place it. in marriage. Yeah. But I would suspect that the same is exactly and equally true of the single life. It's just that it looks different. It is, is indeed. That, it's a very different experience. So talk a little bit about that. What are some of the joys and fires of the single life? Mm. Oh, there's so many, so many joys. Um, and again, here's the other thing is that just like a married person, life, you go through seasons in life, right? Mm. You go through seasons of real contentment in your marriage. And I'm sure you go through seasons of yeah. frustration and difficulty. And, and it's the same for unmarried people. Um, there are seasons in my life where I have seen singleness as a great gift yeah. and have loved it and have you know used it to the max. I've traveled to nearly 30 countries around the world. I've lived in different countries. I, I've had, you know, pretty incredible experiences. Um, but there are seasons where it it's really hard too. I think it was harder when I was starting out. And if, if you're a person in your 20s or 30s listening to this, it, it, it is really hard because all of your friends go through uh, what is quote unquote normal, right? You graduate college in general, right? You, in a certain demographic, you, you, you graduate college and then you get married, right? So you go through this season where all your friends are getting married yeah. and you're not. And then you go through the season where all those friends are starting to have babies and you're not. And then before you know it, those babies are graduating high school and you're being invited to high school graduation. Party. So I went, once wrote this article called... Um, skipping a step without missing a beat mm. the challenge to um to look at our cultural uh milestones or rites of passage yeah. that you do not go through yet not miss a beat in life i've mm. always you know you're, you're going to be bored by this conversation because you know i've had these conversations before if you are not content and whole as and and happy as a single person my guess is Married life will be pretty tough too. Yes. I really don't think that you are two halves coming together to make a whole. Two broken people don't fix each other. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But I think, I think we are, I think in our, in our culture and and maybe in our, in, in some aspects of conservative Christian culture that, you know, um, marriage is seen as this be all and end all of life. Yeah. Yeah, So I I really want to challenge that. So, uh, but life is hard. And one of the hard things I, I've often talked to young women about is um, sometimes you got to be tough to be a single woman. You know, you, nobody's going to fix your car for you. Nobody's going to take your car to the garage for you. Nobody's going to, you know, do the stuff around the house. It's on you, uh, you the bill paying, all of the things of life, yeah. you know. Um, so you got to kind of be a little bit tough and, you know, um, but sometimes that makes you maybe too tough for some, you know what I mean? Like it's this delicate balance between being independent and not self-sufficient, interdependent. Of course, again, if we're part of church families, what, what I've worked hard at in my life over a lot of years is to have those interdependent relationships. So I know I can call you and I have called you for help around the house or taking me to the garage or whatever, that we have these church family relationships where I can call on others to help me. Yep. So, um, yeah, those are just some of the things off the top of my head. But, and, you know, life can be lonely at times, but I know plenty of lonely married people too. Yeah. So one of the things, again, being proactive, being intentional. For me personally, there are two points in the week historically that have, that have the potential for being really lonely. 
It's Friday night and Sunday afternoons, right? Because you've slogged through a hard work week, right? And, and you finish and it's like Friday night. What do you do? Well, a lot of married people and families, I know families that have pizza nights on Friday nights and movie nights and, yep. you know, so establishing my own traditions and, and being intentional about making plans for a Friday night, going out to dinner with friends or a game night or something. And then Sunday afternoons, uh, you know, you enjoy a, a morning at church and, and lots of great conversation and whatnot. And then you go home, you drive home alone and there's so much still to be processed and talked about. And, oh, wasn't that cool? And, you know, um, so I have to be really intentional about Sunday afternoons, um, yeah. just going out to lunch with friends. So, yeah, those are some of the things. So that, so the, the question that we were kind of talking about is advice to church leaders around singles. Is there more that you would say to that? Cause you kind of lapsed into mm-hmm. advice yeah. to singles too, yeah, which is I also, did. Oh, I got some, I, yeah, I'll tell you. Some but is there more, there. more advice to church leaders? Mm, let me, um, yeah, I'd say have compassion for the unmarried people in your congregations, but don't feel sorry for us because for some of us, singleness is a choice, you know, as it was for me. In, in my 30s, I had a couple of opportunities to be married, but I said no to both because I just felt like the trajectory of my life was on a different course than either of those men, you know, per se. Yeah, so it was it was a, a sense of commitment there. Um, and... And again, just being aware of the rites of passage sorts of things. I actually, I haven't, I don't think I've told you about this, but I think I have a little bit of a dream here at Buffalo Vineyard Church mm. to establish a new tradition. Okay. And that is for a woman at her 30th birthday, Okay. if she's not married, uh, within the first six months after she turns 30, we throw her a shower. Okay. We throw her a faithfulness shower. And she gets to register at Bed Bath and Beyond and Williams Sonoma and Target, and she gets to pick out all the things that she would like, all her dream, uh, you know, items. And then we just throw her a big old party, okay? And, and we say thanks for being faithful as a single woman, yeah. Because I think I think thirty for many people, men and women, perhaps, but but for women, you know, in in churches uh, who long to be married, that's a yeah. really tough. So I was thinking as you were talking was like, I definitely see the beauty in that. I wonder how it's like some, some, some single 30 year old women might love that. And some might, some might hate it. Sure. But then, but let me finish the thought. Then I was like, what should we do for single men on their 30th birthday? That was what I was thinking. (laughs) It must involve bacon, but I don't know. know. Well, I think, I think for them, we actually need a bonfire to warm them up and, uh, Get them, get them motivated to go talk to the single ladies. That's right. Well, and you know, we've talked about this before too. And I, I think years ago when I first shared, it is, I mean, do the numbers, right? Do the maths. It's hard, harder for women, especially harder for women in church. Cause I don't know what the ratio is, but there's usually two, three women, uh, single women for every eligible man. So it's harder for us women, but I, I, if you're a young man who would like to be married, listening to this podcast, dude. It's like hitting the broadside of a barn. You walk into any evangelical church on a Sunday morning, and there is a slew of amazing, godly, gifted, talented young women to choose from. Yeah, it's true. And I know it's not easy, and I don't want to. I don't want to be facetious about this, but you know, there are greater opportunities, and and it's risky. Of course, it's risky for you to go out on a limb. And, you know, the fact of the matter is she might be, you know, 
smarter than you. She might be more spiritually mature than you, but don't be intimidated. You know, again, it's that that challenge. Remember, I was saying about having to be. So kind we of, we do need a bonfire. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, you know that challenge of 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 being assertive as a single woman and whatnot. So so sometimes that might turn off guys. I, I don't know. So um, yeah, it's a tricky thing sometimes, but. So, so this is, um, this wasn't one of our questions, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. So part of what we're talking about and what you've said is that the church really should create more space for singles and not kind of create this cult of marriage and family, um, which I agree. And I mean, we haven't really dug into scripture and maybe we will, but I, like my reading of scripture is that there is both a valuing of family and family life, but also a valuing of singleness, both particularly like the idea of a long-term commitment to singleness as an honorable godly path. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, so we don't want to create this pressure for marriage because that can be unhealthy. But then also, I mean, the fact that there are single 30 year old men and single 30 year old women who all want to get married and they're not married to me, it seems like the, that's an indicator of a problem that we should be addressing. Mm -hmm. And that in some ways it's almost like maybe we do need to like put some more pressure on, Hey, go get married. So I don't know what you think about that. And I've, I actually, I feel like I've heard you say that like, Hey, go get married. But also you've simultaneously said, let's not create this to use your language, a cult of marriage or idolatry of marriage or family life. So, I I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say is there's a balance there, but talk a little bit about that. There is a balance. And let's circle back around eventually to the, um, what scripture says about marriage, because I I do want to talk about some of those things. But I think it's a matter of agency. Okay. Right, about how much control we, we have over a situation. And I think in many conservative Christian circles, women are taught to be, receivers and men are taught to be initiators Mm. and i think i'd like to challenge that a little bit if if you're a woman and you'd like to be married well do whatever you what's in your control the other thing i'm famous for saying is in your life what do you have control over what don't you have control over yeah right you do have control over maybe where you put yourself um to, to maybe meet some people um I lost my train of thought. Mark, you're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> so we were talking about, um, like, put, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you got it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if you'd like, if you're a woman and you'd like to be married, what do you have control over? So you can put yourself in different situations, right, to meet people. But the thing is, I, and I wanted to, it's it's all jumbled up in my head. But again, in our churches. We don't, I don't want to encourage people to be intelligent, interesting, well-rounded lovers of Jesus so they become more marriageable. Right. I want people to be those folks, period, you know. Yeah. Um, but if, if you want to get married, what can you do about it? And I just want to, I tend to kind of elbow a lot of my young women friends. Well, you can try different things. You can go, you know, go join a meetup group somewhere that, you know, plays volleyball or, or something and, or yeah, just what do you have control over to put yourself in places to, to meet people? Um, and 
Internet dating, I'm not against it. I'll, I can tell you a funny story the last time I had an internet date, but um, I'm not suggesting a hookup app. Totally different story. But, you know, I've been on plenty of, plenty of interesting um, coffee dates, especially when I was living in London. I went through a patch in London um, probably in the mid-2000s where I was like, mm, let me just give this a try. And uh, just some amazing, funny, ridiculous stories. Uh, but um, it's a great way to connect with somebody. It's not a good way to get to know somebody. You can't spend hours and hours with all these messages back and forth. I would just... You know, if there's someone who interested me, I'd I'd contact him and say, hey, let's cut to the chase and I'll meet you at, uh, you know, Trafalgar Square for a cup of coffee. How about that? And, you know, I would do that on occasion. Uh, but I can I tell you my story of when I swore off Internet dating? Sure. It's, yeah, it's really fun. It was a Christian dating. I think it's relevant. Christian dating site in London. And uh, so I set up a profile and had some interactions with people. And, this, and the one guy who was like the site administrator we connected and had some emails back and forth. And he lived up in Birmingham or Manchester. So bless his heart, he, he came down to London to meet me for uh, for dinner. And in our conversations ahead of time, he was a widower, you know. So he, he was upfront about his situation in life. And so we met at one of my favorite Arab places <laughs> on Edgware Road, Lebanese restaurant. And uh, he sat down and, you know, not sparks right in the beginning, but I want somebody to give me a little bit of time to get to know me. Don't make a judgment. Don't judge a book by its cover. So, um, so we sat down and, and it was a late lunch, early supper. And we sat down and probably about, oh, 45, 48 minutes into the conversation, since he hadn't drawn a breath, and hadn't, hadn't even asked me a single question. I, you know, kind of flirtatiously leaned in and said, well, is there anything you'd like to know about me? Uh, I, was, I said, you know, sky's the limit. Nothing's, anything you want to ask. And in his wonderful Britishness, he recoiled and he went, ooh, oh, mm, oh, oh, that's, that's rather forward. You know, so I thought, oh, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? And then he lapsed into this. Uh, he, he, he gave me a blow-by-blow description of how his wife died in mm. bed, and it was just the most inappropriate thing. And so I'm like, Lord, please get me out of here. And then, you know, as it came to the end of the meal, I oftentimes would make this perfunctory move towards my wallet, you know, because we'll go Dutch. I'll, I'll pay my share. Well, this time I just sat still. I thought, dude, you are paying for this. <laughs> so he rustles around in his sport coat pocket. And I think, okay, good. He's going to take care of the bill. And he pulls out a piece of paper. And he unfolds it and he shows it to me. And he goes, now listen, in this whole internet dating thing, he said, you have to be really, really careful. But people, you have to know that people are who they say they are. He goes, here, I want you to, this is a copy of my wife's death certificate. I want you to know that I really am a widower. At which point I thought I would just lose my stuff, and I and I I held it back as as well as I could, and I just I didn't don't even remember his name, and I just said I held up my hand. I said nope 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 I don't want to see that. That's inappropriate. I don't want to see that. And I got on the bus to go home, and I I was one of those classic people on a London bus. I sat there, I laughed, I cried. You know the characters you find on buses. I was just beside myself. I thought, Lord, I can't take much more of this, you know. And it was, it was, you know, and I got off a couple stops early at my pastor's house. He and his wife and family, like your wife and kids, you're, you're part of my family. So I got off at, at Jeremy's house, and, and it was a Friday night, and I knocked on the front door, and he opened the door, and he goes, hey, mate, what's up? 
And I just looked at him and I burst into tears and I said, I need a drink. And so he brought me in and we had a glass of wine. And But, you know, it's it's a crazy world out there in the in the dating world. So and hey, I'm pushing 60. So one of the questions you asked me, you know, what advice do I give about dating? I'm not probably the best voice in this. But what I do want to say is what do you have control over? And women don't be afraid. And I even tell some of the young women I walk alongside, hey, if somebody interests you, it's a really risky thing, but why not just, you know, if you're ever standing next to him and you say, hey, you seem like a really interesting person. I'd love to have a cup of coffee. Would you like to go for coffee with me? Don't be afraid to be an initiator. You yeah. know? Sorry, that's a long-winded story to tell you a little no. bit of my dating experiences. Yeah. But no, that's good. But that was the last time I ever had an internet date, and that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've never had an internet date, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so like some of what, so you, you said something and all of that, that got me thinking Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and it might be a good transition into talking a little bit about gender in the church too. Yeah. Um, cause that was something we were going to touch base on or at least we, we talked about it. Yep. I'd love to. So you had talked about women in the church getting the message that they needed to be receivers or passive, uh, and men, being the ones that are told to be the assertive ones. And, and I, when you said that, I was like, Oh yeah, I guess that is probably more of a message that, that men and women get in the church. But I actually, I guess it depends on the cultural context you're in. Oh, for sure. Definitely in the culture, I would say that those messages are reversed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, that men are being encouraged to be passive and women are being encouraged to be assertive. Yes. And, um, and you know, there's reasons behind why that's happening. So we could we could talk about whether that's good or bad or just a thing, but it is a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder how that if, because you know nobody's in the church without also being in the culture, uh, and I wonder how that affects those. You know, so for young men who are in the culture of our day, being encouraged not to be mm. those, you know, kind of like how dare you go ask a woman on a date kind right, of, right, kind of right. a message, you right. know? Um, I like, I wonder how that, how that affects all of this, you know, how, how the, the cultural messages around gender and the messages inside the church around gender end up kind of coming together to affect whether it's singleness, whether it's identity, whether it's marriage, whether, you know, I don't know. What do you think about yeah. all that? Well, it's complicated, isn't it? It's yeah. complicated and nuanced. Um, and we, but you're right. We can't we can't divorce our cultural context from how we read scripture and how we interpret scripture. Yeah. Um. I mean, if we look at what what the Bible says about marriage and family and singleness, obviously, you know, the life we live today is so different from the ancient Near East. Right. And, and I, I read just recently that somebody said that um, patriarchy is the Bible's historical backdrop, backdrop, not its message. Yeah. Yeah. Patriarchy is the Bible's historical backdrop, not its message. Um, but it, it's it's undeniable that patriarchal themes have influenced from from time immemorial have influenced our relationships. Um and, you know, marriage and family look different even a hundred years ago. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's how um, mind-boggling it is that things are changing so fast. So it is a complicated world. 
Um, and I think if anything, my message would be try to, to try to simplify things. Because if I think about the women I know in Buffalo, I don't think any of them would be offended by, by a, a guy who said, hey, you're an int- you seem really interesting. Do you want to go out for a cup of coffee? I, I don't think there's anything. Because I think there's something different about um, being aggressive, men being aggressive, versus um, taking an initiative. Sure. I don't know. I think there's there's a, I agree. a difference there. But I, I do. I, I have empathy for young men because, uh, you know, the uh, it's confusing. Yeah. A lot of the messages are, are confusing. But I do, again, circling back to that understanding of how how do we look at scripture? Um, I think in the conservative wing of, of American Christianity, this whole biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, um, gives me the heebie-jeebies. I, why? I just don't like that at all. Talk, talk about why. Here's the thing. Um, in understanding relationships, my, my um, what's the word I want? My frame of reference rests on two things. The per, who God is, the, pers- the Trinity, yeah. right? The nature of God is relationship. And I love Bishop Robert Barron. Uh, he has this wonderful definition of the Trinity as the lover, the beloved, and the love they share. Yeah. I just love that understanding of who, who God is. So, so my understanding of relationships, based on the nature of God, the Trinity, and its biblical personhood, because I'm, I'm not really sure there is a thing as biblical womanhood and biblical manhood. I think there is very much a thing of biblical personhood. Sure. And how do we, rem- again, it's complicated. We can't completely remove our femininity or our masculinity from our interpretation of scripture or our application of scripture. Obviously we can't, but I'm not so sure it needs to be as, um, in the forefront as, as folks in that camp seem to think it is. Um, I'm reading through Rebecca McLaughlin's uh, Confronting Christianity. Fabulous yeah. book. Highly recommend her book. Um, and in, can I just read a passage? Sure. This is so important. I, I just wanted to... Um, in, in thinking about God designed us to reflect himself, right? To be in relationship. And God designed us male and female. And we both, if to be... We'll talk more about femininity and masculinity. I'll save that thought for that. Okay, cool. Rebecca McLaughlin says this, Jesus preached a gospel of radical intimacy with him first and foremost, but through him also with each other. Building on Jesus' last words at his last supper with the disciples, Paul argues that Christians are inextricably bound together. Quote, the bread we break is not... Is it not the participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. That's from 1 Corinthians 10. So she says, within the Christian framework, one body unity is not just for husbands and wives. It's for everyone. Friendship is not the consolation prize for those who fail to gain romantic love. Like marriage and parenthood, it's another way in which God manifests aspects of his love for us. Here's the kicker. If we reduce Christian community to sexual relationships and the nuclear family, we are utterly failing to deliver on biblical ethics. Sure. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. No, I think that that has been, I mean, that's, that's much more poetic than, than maybe I would have said it, but that particularly in conversations around sexual ethics, 
but also in other areas, it seems like the church has reduced kind of like Christian maturity or Christian discipleship to, you know, getting married, having good straight sex and raising some kids. Right. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, that's not bad advice for a lot of people, but it's not good advice for everybody. And it sure as heck isn't like, that's not like the primary, yeah, it's not the primary thing on God's agenda. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like exactly. it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's really mistaking something that is peripheral for something that is central yeah. in, in a way that can be really damaging, particularly because it's, it's, while again, that is, that is good advice for some people. It's not actually good advice for everybody. That's, That's not right. God's call on everybody's life. Right. Right. So we're missing stuff. Yeah, for sure. And hurting people. Yeah. So that, that idea then of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, mm-hmm. which I mean, well, so yeah, the, we, the, I'll, I'll give you the context and then I'll ask you the question to define femininity. Cause I think that that would be helpful. Um, actually, no, I'm just going to ask you the question first, then I'll give you the context because okay, sure, sure. that, that, that might help, help yeah. set this up better. But yeah, so, so if, if the, the way in which some people talk about biblical femininity or biblical masculinity is something that gives you the heebie-jeebies was the, the phrase that you used, is there a way that you would define feminine and masculine that doesn't give you the heebie-jeebies? Right. And I want to be clear, it's biblical manhood and biblical womanhood okay. are the, are the, gotcha. those are the, those are the um, buzzwords. Okay. It's not biblical feminine, femininity. It's, it's manhood and womanhood. And I, I think it's a, yeah. Um, but when you asked to define femininity, uh, my first thought was, well, it's like asking how long is a piece of string, mm-hmm. right? Because it's really quite nebulous. Uh, and the and the definitions vary from culture and to culture and and from you know generation to generation because perhaps something that was considered feminine 150 years ago is no longer feminine today so it is culturally specific um, but I wonder if femininity is just an elusive quality that makes a woman a woman okay what and, so and, define and, that mm-hmm. well here here's the thing an author once said. Um, uh, I mean, it's a great quote. This person said, could femininity and therefore masculinity be mysterious qualities we possess simply by virtue of being? Could they exist without a concrete list of bullet points hammering them out? I think, can we embrace the, the mystery of what makes a woman a woman, a man a man? Obviously, you know, there's something about femininity that attracts masculinity and there's something about masculinity that affects femininity mm-hmm. um but i'm okay with the mystery of it so don't define it no, hey you're welcome to define it <laughs> I think, but you're not gonna but i'm not going to because i think because sometimes yeah because i've i've wrestled along the way you know and, and to be honest how many people are going to listen to this podcast I don't know. Okay. Well, they're all going to find out that sometimes, you know, sometimes I wonder, oh, maybe I'm not married because I was never feminine enough. Mm. You know, so it's not that I'm not aware of the impact of femininity or, right. or something like that. But but I think it's, it's, you know, and I know men and women are different. Of course we're different. Absolutely different. I think that, again, going back to the, the creation, 
God created them male and female. You know, in his image, he created them. So I think you as a man reflect part of the nature of God, and I as a woman re- reflect part of the nature of God. And and men and women together reflect the totality of God's being. Um, but I, I wonder, and I'm sure a philosopher and theologian, because I'm neither, could probably hammer my argument in, in a moment, but are our souls made up of different stuff? Our phys- you mean, are, our are physiolo- men's souls different yeah. than women's Our souls. physiology obviously is different. Right. Our psychology, yeah, it's different. But is the nature of who we are as, uh, you know, our souls, we are embodied souls. We're not bodies with souls. We are embodied souls. And is the stuff that our souls are made of, I sound like an episode of The Good Place, you know, <laughs> but is that stuff different in men and women? It's ex- I'm sure it's, it's expressed, it's received sure. differently. Yeah. The stimuli are received differently and expressed differently. Of course, of course, of course. But... I don't know. I happen to think that the stuff of our souls is the same. So you said at one point of the last couple of minutes that men are created in such a way as to reflect one part of God's kind of essence or character and women also, but different. It, do you think that there are, like, could you define that? Like, what is the part of God's character that men reflect and what is the part of God's character or essence that women reflect? That's a great question. I'm not sure I have a good answer because I think what it comes down to is I know that when men and women are together, I think, you know, in the, in the picture of marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a great, it's a great image of, you know, the two becoming one and and that kind of coming together and reflecting the totality of God. But I don't think that's restricted to, to marriage relationships, you know, because I think that us, our team, our pastoral team here at Buffalo Vineyard, we're men and women working together. And I think it's beautiful how it reflects the character of God. Um, So I'm not sure I have a good answer for you. So I'll, I'll give you the context for the question. Sure thing. Uh, So our good friend, Elijah and I had a a conversation, recorded a podcast, whatever a week ago. And, um, actually pretty much the whole podcast was about masculinity mm-hmm. more than even like gender broadly. And, uh, I had asked him to define what it means to be a man mm-hmm. and he defined it basically to sum up in the idea of like taking responsibility for yourself and the people around you. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's a perfectly acceptable definition of manhood with one problem. It's also a good definition of what it means to be a woman. Preach it, brother. Right? And I mean, so we talked about that too. So yeah. we like he, we were acknowledging that. It wasn't like he was like, oh no, that's horrible. Um, but but then we struggled to come up with a definition of manhood that doesn't also include within it just basically a definition of what it means to be a person or e- a good person. Exactly. Or a why, person. why are you even bothering with a definition of manhood or womanhood? Let's focus on personhood. What does it mean to be a person living under the authority of King Jesus, so loving I'm, him and loving our neighbors? I'm fine with that for the most part right. as like, yeah, like why do we have to worry about it? But the reality is, is that, you know, the categories man and woman do exist sure. and they do matter because they're like, there are differences, of you know, course, and of course, again, this was something that Elijah and I talked about is, and, and even here you, you had already mentioned that, you know, just that at the basic biological level, there's some clear differences Absolutely. between men and women. And because of that, there's also psychological differences between men and women. Yep. Uh, and because of that, there are different 
roles that men and women naturally play sure. in society and family. Um, and because of that, there's different, you know, that's where you get into gender. There are different kind of like modes of behavior or ways of interacting or presenting that then men and women tend to, to gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. But none of that is firm and fast, right? So really the and it's only culturally a lot of dependent. that is. Uh, it's not culturally dependent. It's culturally influenced. Influenced. Sorry, sorry. Because yes, that yes. underlying biology is really the, like the driver. Yes. But yeah. then that that interacts with culture and creates. But it but but it's overlapping bell curves, right? So you don't have like you can't say well all women act this way and all men exactly. act this way because they exactly. don't and they don't. Um, so in that sense, like I I think I would agree with you. Yeah, let's focus on what it means to be people who are responding to God and uh, His invitation to our lives. Let's just do that. But then, as soon as you start asking, how do we do that? There are going to be ways that gender. I mean, even just the question. I think one of the questions that I asked you is like, how ought men and women to relate to each other, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's there, like, bluntly. I don't interact with women the same way that I interact with men. And I don't think that that's a problem. I think that that's wisdom. I agree. So and like, you don't interact with me the same way you do with your wife. Exactly. Right. right? Exactly. So, so, the, so, so we should pay attention. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know. So talk more about that. Like how, how should, so how should gender work in the church? Like how should gender fit into our discipleship and what it means for us to say, I want to be a person who is living in under the authority of Christ in my life, which hundred percent, I agree. That's the framework. But then, with, you know, so like, just like we would say, don't worry about being a plumber for Jesus. Just be a person for Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but now that you're worrying about being a person for Jesus and you're a plumber, you're going to have to think about that. You right, know what I mean? Right. So, so like, how does that, how does that work? Yeah. The gospel according to Gail. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, of course, we have to be super careful. We, we can't be naive, right? Mm. Um, but again, if we go back to that understanding of church as family, so if we go back to that as a starting point, that we are all family together, how we interact as brothers and sisters um, brothers and sisters interact differently than husbands and wives. And husbands and wives interact differently than parents and children. So you need to understand within which role you're operating, of, of course. Um, but again, I want to push back against the very conservative views. And, and I wonder if it's influenced by the conservative views and, and maybe just our... our over-sexualized cultural influences. Sure. But, you know, that conservative Christian line that, you know, you and I can't drive in a car together to a conference. Sure, yeah. You know, or or we can't meet in a room with a door closed. I think that's hogwash. And, it, and I think it has excluded women from, uh, we could talk more about that later, but, uh, you know, positions of leadership because of that exclusivity. But, but how, how do we relate to each other as brothers and sisters, first and foremost? Um, yeah, I feel like I've gotten a little off track of, of what you were aiming at. No. Biblical personhood. Yeah, to, I don't want to neutralize everybody or neuter, neuterize everybody. I don't, I don't think that, I think we can live our lives as men and women. But 
you know, we can we can get to the point where we see each other as brothers and sisters and um, and not let our cultural, you know, oh, that men and women can't be friends without there being something sexual, you know, always at play or or the risk that's there. Of course, there are risks there. Again, don't don't hear me incorrectly. But um, yeah, I think there's a way we can interact that's healthy, that recognizes our personhood. All right. Now I, now I got to tell you a story. All right. So, so I agree. So my pastor's wife back in California, I heard her say once that in the perfect church, there'd be no clothes and there'd be no lust. Right. (laughs) And it's like, okay, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So like, that is true. Having said that, we're not going to check our clothes at the door at the Buffalo Vineyard Church. Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. We're not there yet. Right. (laughs) There would be some lust. Um, So, so there's, there is like that, that like in, there will come a day when the oppressive aspects of gender will will be gone. Yes, right? hallelujah. Like that, that is coming, and yeah. God wants that, and God desires that, and we should want it and desire it too. Um. Also, in that day, I think gender will still exist. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, very much so. so there yeah. will still be different kinds of people. Um, but then there's also what do we do about where we're at now, yeah. you know, and there is like just the pastoral responsibility for, for being attentive to how things work. So, so for example, this is, this is where the, the story and the question comes in is, you know, you talked about men and women should be able to be friends without there being the assumption that there's some sort of like sexual or romantic potential there. Yeah. Having said that, I have a 17 year old daughter <laughs> Yeah, and she has at least one friend who is a, a young man who has expressed interest in hanging out with her mm-hmm. enough that I have said to her, he's romantically interested in you. And she's like, no, he's just my <laughs> friend. And, and I've said to her, you can believe whatever you want. I've never even met this kid. He's romantically interested in you, right? My son has also said the same thing to his sister. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like this guy's so, so after whatever, like 12 months, this, young man finally admitted to my daughter that he has some kind of interest in her. She didn't want to come home and tell me not, not because she was afraid of telling me that he liked her, but because she didn't want to admit that That you were right. right. (laughs) Go Zoe. Right. But so, I mean, I would say that, um, you know, it's my experience that really it is difficult actually for, and and I would say it's harder for men than for women. Mm -hmm. This is a difference between the genders that, I think women for women, it is a lot easier to be friends with men in ways where no, 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 he's just a friend. Whereas I think for most men, most of the time, and this isn't even like a lust thing or like some sort of a yeah. sinful thing, but yeah. just that I think for most men who would a level see, of attraction that's yeah, there. That, it's yeah. like, you know, so if she was interested in you, would you be interested in taking her out on a date? And most men who are friends with women would say, oh yeah, like I would definitely go out on a date with mm-hmm. that girl that I'm friends mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah, I don't know. Like, it does seem like there is still that, like, there is that potential for romance or sexual attraction within relationships between men and women that we do have to actually acknowledge as a thing. So, I don't know. Yeah, so respond no, to that. No, I, I hear you. Absolutely. 100%. And this is why we need each other. This is why Zoe needs a dad and mom who will kind of say those things. You know, we need we need each other to to... to to, to speak into those those issues and and to kind of nudge the clueless people in our lives and and for you know and and to nudge the ones that are maybe a little too over the top you know and too 
or, or potentially inappropriate or whatnot. So we need to help each other navigate all these things. So I hear what you're saying. We can't divorce our sexuality from, from our interactions at all, um, all the time, 100%. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have any, any other words of wisdom to, to, to speak into that. A silence fell over the podcast. It's okay. All right, so let's let's pivot. Where do you want to pivot? I don't to? know. What else? Yeah. What, what else do we got? We. I mean, we could talk about women in ministry. I know that was something that you'd brought up. We don't have to do that too. You look like you didn't want to talk about it. Well, I think I'd rather talk about. So, um, I'll tell you another story. I went to a wedding of a woman. Just before the pandemic, it was the December before the pandemic. What year was that? A uh, lifetime ago? Oh, if it was December, that would have been 2019. 19, yeah, yeah. I've lost all track of time. 20 years ago, I think. I know, 20 years ago. So I was at at a dinner, a Christmas dinner with some friends, and uh, I I had just been to a wedding of a woman who was in her mid-40s, first marriage, and it was just, it was beautiful. It was just a lovely wedding. And I was sitting next to an older, long-time married woman from from a church, and... uh, and so I uh, was just talking about Carrie's wedding, and, and I, I tend to be self-deprecating. And so I said to this friend, oh, I don't know, I'm too old and crusty to be married at this point. And she put her hand on my arm, and she said, oh, Gail, you're not old and crusty. You're very opinionated, but you're not old and crusty. <laughs> so I have lots of opinions and, and lots of advice. I, so I'd love to just throw out some just some advice because yeah. I'm not, I'm never who, short of opinions. Too? Single, single people. Okay. And, and maybe, maybe marrieds can learn from it. But, um, so, you know, what advice would I give to single people, unmarried people? Um, first of all, keep things in perspective. This earthly life is but a blip, right? In the big scheme of things, this earthly life is but a blip. So, for me, that really helps to keep things in perspective. Although some years, like pandemic years, feel interminable, this life is really short. Um, again, going back to if you're not content in the here and now as a single person, I'm not sure you're going to be content as a, a married person. But we always need to ask ourselves the question, from where am I drawing my sense of identity, Right. And it always, always, always has to be Jesus. It always has to go back to who does God say that I am? Okay, don't give into the lie that just because you're not married, something's wrong with you. That's, that really is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Yeah. And I just wish every unmarried person could hear that loud and clear. Um, the other thing I've learned over the years through making lots of mistakes is just that holding things in tension between being honest about how you're feeling, um, yet not like like acknowledging the sorrow and the and the struggles of single life at times, but not wallowing in it and not letting it overtake you. Um, just finding healthy ways to express to the Lord your longings and your uh, you know your desires, but to always come back to that. You know, yet I will trust in you, Lord. You know, it's that holding that intention, being really honest, not stuffing down your feelings, not, you know, avoiding your feelings through other unhealthy ways, but acknowledging it and, and being as honest as you can um, with the Lord and with others. 
you know, with others. Um, what will we do those feelings? I'll tell you another story. Somebody in our church at Buffalo Vineyard got married and uh, beautiful wedding. I'll tell you, this hit me out of the blue. I don't sit at weddings anymore and go, eh, when's it going to be my turn? Right? I, I'm long past that. But you know what? When the mother danced with the son, mm. I had to go to the ladies' room. Yeah. Because I burst into tears because I thought, I'll never have a son to dance with at his wedding yeah. or a daughter to go shopping for a wedding dress with. And I just had to feel the feels, right? I'm, I'm long past hiding how... Or stuffing down what I feel. So it, that was, it was, came out of the blue. Yeah. Really out of the blue. So um, our sexuality, again, circling back to that, but, um, you know, it was, I think it was Rebecca McLaughlin again who said, um, saying yes to Jesus as an unmarried person means saying no to sexual freedom. Yeah. You know, so we need to find healthy and life-giving ways to understand and manage our libidos, you know, and it's going to be different for each person, but um, we need to acknowledge ourselves as sexual beings, um, but also we're not animals. Yeah. So I'll leave that there. There's a whole other podcast. Right. Uh, but The sex podcast coming in three weeks. That's right. Pastor Gail. That's right. Um, but did I quote this already? Mc Rebecca McLaughlin also says, at the resurrection, no one who has chosen Jesus over sexual fulfillment will have missed out. Mm. Yes. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Keep it in perspective. I, as this is, I am preaching to myself in all of this too. Um, I think we have to be really intentional about the relationships we develop around ourselves as unmarried people. We've, I mean, my life is so full and so rich. I have seven godchildren around the world. I'm an auntie to so many. I, uh, you know, I'm, I have my fab four. Mm -hmm. Shout out to my fab four in Rochester. You know, they've been with me for 25 years. Uh, one couple's in their 90s. Two couples are in their, uh, one couple's in their 70s and two couples are in my contemporaries of mine. But they are my go-to people. They are my 3 a.m. people. Yeah. And as unmarried people, we need to cultivate these kinds of, of friendships. Some 3 a.m. people. 3 a.m. people, you, you need them. But they don't happen automatically. You've got to work really hard at developing that kind of circle of friends. I will just point out, though, yeah, that if you have people that you can call at 3 a.m., that means that there are people that can call you at 3 a.m. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and they have, and, and they will. Um, the other thing about unmarried people, you need to become comfortable in your own skin, right? You need to be comfortable in your own company. Um, I live alone. I've lived alone for many, many years. And I think it gets easier when you get older. Um, and maybe it's different for introverts than extroverts. I'm usually a flaming extrovert. But, um, you know, just being comfortable in your own company to embrace solitude. And it's a real gift. Um, although there are times I would love a big rambunctious household, <laughs> right? It, it's just, it's just different. It's just seasonal and it's different. Come for dinner at our house. Yeah, I'm coming. Um, and then two, just some, two last things, bits of advice, because I'm so opinionated. Um, I tell young people, men and women, um, to keep your standards high, but your expectations realistic. When looking for a spouse. That's good. Keep your standards high, but your expectations realistic. And then finally, you know what, Steve? I can think of a whole lot worse things in life than being single. Yeah. It's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like it, but in reality it's not. You know, so. Well, thank you for sharing. I know that wasn't advice to Steve, but. Yeah. For what it's worth, 
FWIW. Yeah. <laughs> For what it's worth. Cool. Oh. I don't know. Anything else to say or oh, ask or share? Oh, there's probably a lot, but we should probably end it there. So cool. thanks for the opportunity yeah. to, thanks to, for to chatting. share. I, I, yeah, I'm really grateful. I, I'm, I'm just really grateful for this church fellowship. It's, uh, it's a really unique place to be. And I, uh, you know, I've had great experiences over my ministry career and I've mostly, I, well, I, I have every mostly, I've I've worked with men who are just incredible um, advocates for women in ministry, and they have encouraged my gifts and and uh, challenged me to to use my gifts. And um, so I've been really blessed along the way. And I just feel like Buffalo Vineyard is a place where men and women get a chance to flourish, no matter who you are, no matter what your background. Um, it's just a great place to flourish, and I'm awfully glad to be a part of the fellowship. That's cool. So thank you. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would feel, it would almost feel patronizing to me. I would feel like I was being patronizing if I were to see myself as advocating for women to use their gifts. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'd be like, well, I know if I tried to do that with my daughter, she would punch me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> what are you doing, dad? Uh, I don't need your encouragement. I can do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I, I agree. I think that... um we have some really amazing men and amazing women yep. who are leading together um, in our church. Yep. And, and, and I don't, I mean, I know it gets addressed from time to time that, that there is a conversation there about women in leadership, but I feel like it's not really a, it's not like a, a cultural, you know, hot button issue in yeah, our church. It's not anything. an issue just, for us, but it yeah. swirls all around us. No, I do understand yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't really, we didn't tackle that one head on, but we did kind of tackle that one too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Gail. Thank you, Pastor Steve. All right. What fun. Pastor Gail, everyone. (laughs) 242 is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.